Well, it's always a blessing to have Brother Harold with us. I know he's got many different appointments, so when he comes, it's special to have him. And uh, so, Brother Harold, you come preach for us today, and we're praying for you, Brother. I love the Lord. <laughs> I won't share with you why I love him more this morning than normal, but uh, through a series of events, the Lord has just reminded me of how much I need him, and uh, I, uh, I'm glad that I have access to him when I do need him. And uh, I want to thank you all for supporting me. It, it is a blessing. You know, to pastor a church, uh, there's two ways this could end. I could leave and y'all could be glad to see me go, and I could be glad to be gone, and that was not the case. Or I could stay and pester the pastor and tell him how to do his job, even though it's his job, not mine now, and thankfully that's not been the case. Instead, the Lord has, has graciously allowed you as a church to continue to support me in this ministry monthly, and even this month, I am your missionary for the month of February, so... Your mission offering this month will go to support the work that I do, and I couldn't do this work without you. Uh, as Joseph has said, I am about to be real busy. I've been busy. I've been preaching in revival meetings and conferences, uh, but my heart's desire is to help churches that are struggling. And so uh, uh, next week I'll be in Virginia helping a church that hasn't had a pastor for over three years try to address what the problems are and get that maybe identified and corrected. And then I'll be preaching at a conference in Smithville, Oklahoma, then a revival in Buffalo Valley, Oklahoma. Then I'll spend uh, three weeks with the First Baptist Church of Roland. They've been without a pastor for over three years, and hopefully during those three weeks they can make a decision if they want to have a pastor come and help them get out of where they're at or just keep doing what they're doing. And then I have a couple more revivals lined up into April, so I am busy, and it's good to be busy. I, I don't want to sit around, but one of the things that I've noticed in traveling around and preaching in a number of churches is that there is some, there's some doctrinal deficiency, and, and when I say that, everybody says, oh yeah, 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 well, which doctrine am I talking about? That's the key. When Paul instructs Timothy to give himself to doctrine, doctrine is just a, a word that means a system of teaching. Most of my ministry here at Lee Creek, that's the bulk of it, 14 years as the pastor here, was going verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. By God's grace, we nearly completed the whole New Testament. But as I've traveled around, I've preached in a different manner because you can't just go in and be in the middle of Philippians 2, 8. And I don't know what that verse says, but you can't just, just jump in the middle of a deep verse and talk about deep things without some context. And so I've found myself doing more doctrinal preaching. And doctrinal preaching is similar to topical preaching where you take... Bible verses from all over the New Testament, sometimes the whole of Scripture, Old and New Testament, and compile them together to formulate what we would say is a systematic truth. And so, as I've thought about and been confronted with so many different deficiencies, one deficiency I have heard more from pastors in the last six or eight months one deficiency I've noticed more for the last six or eight months is this. It is a wrong understanding or an absent understanding of the necessity of a local church. This is what I see everywhere I go. It's prevalent in our day more so than at any other time. And if I had to pick something to liken it to... I would describe it as this. Do any of you know a man and a woman that live together outside of the bounds of marriage? Let me put it in the street language. Y'all know anybody shacking up? Hey, we got a little secret code, remember? This is yes, this is no. If I say something, you give me one of these, I know you got it. 
Do you know people that are living together and they're not married? Do you know this? Am I the only one that knows about 12 or 14 couples this way? In each of these situations, this is... This, the Bible clearly says this is wrong. This should not take place. But in our day, it's becoming more and more and more common, more acceptable, less frowned upon. I bet in my grandparents' day, this was a great shame for two people to live this way. In our day, this is a cultural norm. In my grandparents' day, it was odd that you wouldn't be thoroughly committed to a local church. Now it is the norm. Everywhere I go, I encounter someone. I say, uh, I'll talk to them and I'll tell the pastor, man, you've got a, a great member there. They seem really excited about the Lord. And they're like, oh, they just started coming last week. Or they've been coming for six years and they're still not a part of the church. And I'll say, what's going on? Why, why is this? And it's just become the norm. The norm nearly everywhere I've gone. So I've entitled this doctrinal message on a Christian without a commitment. A Christian without a commitment. And I've got 12 points to my message. It's all right, I know what time it is too. So I've got 12 points to a message here, all right? Now let's think about this for a moment. Well, you say, preacher, why in the world would you get up there with 12 points? You know what time lunch is. Two weeks ago, I preached a 60-point message because I love my brothers and sisters in Christ at Lee Creek so much. I'm just giving you a fifth of a sermon this morning. How about that? <laughs> it's supposed to be a blessing for Joseph to let me preach and give you guys a break. But I've discovered something. I used to preach three-point messages, five-point messages. But if all of your points are backed up and compiled on three, four, and five verses of Scripture that all point and say the same thing. It's not 12 points that I'm preaching. It's really 20 or 30 or 40 verses of Scripture all piled together, all pointing to the fact that the local church is an important commitment in the life of a Christian. And so we'll look at these points, and because I'm a preacher and a Baptist, I alliterated all of them, so they're all starting with the letter A. If my sermon gets boring, you can do this. You can start guessing what my future points will be. I've, I, I've sat through a bunch of boring sermons. I, gotta, I know how to get through it myself. I'm just letting you in on a little preacher's secret. The first thing I want to uh, identify and see from the scriptures is that the local church has authority. Authority. This is something that we need to understand. The local church has power. Now what does that power, how is that defined in scripture? In Matthew chapter 18 verse 17, Jesus talking about how to deal. And if you're going to turn pages, you're liable to get carpal tunnel by the time we're done. But I've got a bunch of Bible verses, and I was going to come print them. See, I ran out of paper this morning in my printer at the house. So I came to church. I said, I'll use the church printer. The church printer's down. So I've got all the Bible verses on the back of my notes. And if y'all have ever seen my notes, they're usually small. So I'm going to be flipping pages up here, but I'm just going to be doing this, okay? Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 has given instruction on how to deal with someone who sinned against you. Number one, go tell them. That's something Baptists fail to do, ain't it? They'd rather talk about them than talk to them. Go tell them. If he won't hear you, take two or three. So by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything may be established. If he won't hear the committee, that's Baptist language there. If he won't hear the committee, take it to the church. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 18, 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, that's the committee, tell it unto the church. And if he shall neglect to hear the church... Let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Friend, the local church has authority. They are the deciding factor between two people who were at odds with each other over sin. The local church has the authority to say, this person is right, this person is wrong, and you are no longer part of the church because you will not repent of being wrong. 
That authority is given to the local church. You say, well, Brother Harold, you just grabbed that verse out of thin air and made it mean what you wanted it to mean. No, as a commentary on that verse, I'll give you Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 4. There was a man living in sin. He was living and sleeping with his stepmother, his dad's ex-wife. And Paul said, this is the most awful wickedness. And you guys are, are not, you're not mourning over it. You, you think it's proud that you've got some nuanced thing. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, remove the erring brother. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's what he says. You say, well, Brother Harold, the church has that kind of authority. They're not taking his salvation away, friend. They're taking his church membership away. People say, well, church membership ain't in the Bible. How do you do that without some kind of membership? But you say, well, Brother Harold, you kind of made a case with them two verses, but, but wait, there's more. If you keep reading in 1 Corinthians, the very next chapter is chapter 6. And here Paul says it's commonly reported that there are people in the church who are suing each other in court. And he says, why in the world are y'all going to court? Why are you going to judge Judy with each other? Why would you, why, you know the disclaimer, they have agreed to settle the dispute and judge Wapner's court. The young people are like, who in the world is Judge Wapner? And the old people are the only ones uh, listening to Judge Judy, so maybe I should have stayed with that. Paul says you shouldn't go to court with each other. He said you should get the, the lowest person in the whole church and offer your matter to the lowest member of the church and let him decide. And you say, brother, oh, that's ludicrous. Paul says the church shall judge angels. And if we have the ability to judge angels, can we not settle earthly disputes? He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. If you have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Friend, let me ask you a question. If Jesus said, take it to the church... And Paul said when the church at Corinth comes together, make this decision. And when you have a problem between the two of you, let the lowest person in the church decide it. Who is the church? Shall we just get up at the factory and say, all right, everybody on assembly line that's a Christian, I want you to settle this dispute between me and him. Do you just walk out on the street and say, does anybody profess faith in Christ? Anybody a Christian? I meet a lot of people who say they're Christians, give no evidence of it. Yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus a little bit. I'm spiritual. Okay, I've got a dispute. I want you to determine which one of us is right. You say, oh, no, no. If, I, if I'm going to let one person handle it, I want that person to be a praying person that studies their Bible every day, that's committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, that lives accordingly. Oh, you want evidence that they are who they profess to be. That evidence is demonstrated by the authority of a local church. You can't fulfill these verses outside of a local church. In the local church, there's also administration. The church has structure. There's an organization here. It's not just a loose group of people. It's not like that stuff that's in your water jug when you don't wash it out for two weeks in the summer, you know, that just kind of moves around in the water like that. Some people think the church is some kind of fluid organism that just morphs into whatever. No, actually it's not. The church is structured, and it's structured according to Scripture. The local church has administration, and it's structured according to Scripture in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes his letter to the church at Philippi, and this is how he starts it. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. That's a local area at Philippi. Here's what he says. With the bishops and deacons. Bishop is the Greek word for overseer. Somebody's overseeing this work. 
The deacons are the servants that are seeing that it's getting carried out. And all of the saints in that area are under that infrastructure, in that structure, with the administration of a local church. We say, well, Brother Harold, I think that pastor and deacon stuff's all man-made. Well, there again, Paul disagrees with you because in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is talking to the elders at the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all of the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul says the church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased it with his own blood. I often wish he'd let me go to the sale barn and pick sheep, don't you? Lord, we really need a doctor in this church and a couple of lawyers. Lord, Lord, we need a concrete finisher. We need new sidewalks out here. We need somebody with some skills. But the Lord never goes and says, All right, pastor, what kind of, what kind of sheep do you want? It's the Lord's flock, but the Holy Spirit makes people overseers. I know you all voted to call Joseph Allen as your pastor. And I voted for him too. But all we were doing was testifying that the Holy Spirit had appointed him to be our pastor. And for us to oppose Joseph without some clear biblical instruction, without some grave errors made by him that he refuses to repent of, we are opposing the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that put him here. You see, it's the Lord's church and the Lord structured it according to His plan. And if you don't like His plan, you can't get mad at the pastor. He's just reading the Bible telling you what it says. When you start looking at the authority and the administration, the next thing that shows up on my thought process is accountability. Okay, if God sent this institution and He gave them authority to rule over my life and to ensure that I'm living properly, and then He, 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 he built it with officers and with servants and with people who, who oversee it, then I'm accountable to a local church because a local church has God-given leadership. What does that God-given leadership look like, preacher? Well... The Bible recognizes what Paul said. I don't know who wrote Hebrews. You don't either. He didn't sign his name. I can make some good guesses, but they'd only be as good as your guess. I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but here's what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Friend, how do you consider the end of their conversation? How do you follow their faith if you're not ever around them? I know a lot of people that like these TV preachers. Oh, this guy on TV, boy, he's so good. Do you know how he lives? Do you know how he treats his wife? Do you know how he raises his children? Do you know what his reputation is in the community? No, 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 and no. Then why are you following him? The Bible tells us to follow them, but we can't follow them if we don't know them. And you know what I've discovered? We can't know them unless we're around them. Anybody on Facebook? Don't raise your hand for that in church. Now, I'm on Facebook. You know what I've discovered on Facebook? Them folks ain't what they seem. I thought all them girls I went to high school with never aged. And then I saw one of them on the street. She's using a filter. She looked different. I was like, she's as ugly and fat as I am. Old age got her too. If you're following a TV preacher, there's no way for you to know if that's how he really is outside of this little square where he stands in front of the camera. You see, the local church has accountability. We're accountable to these men. He goes, the writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 13 to verse 17. Notice this word. Obey them that have the rule over you 
and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Joseph's my pastor. I'm submitting to him. He said, you ever want to preach, just let me know. I said, I will never let you know. This is your place up here, Joseph. This is, this is your right. You decide who preaches before this church. I'm not up here going, hey, hey, pick me, pick me. That's his, that's his decision. I submit to him. He's my spiritual elder in this church, and I recognize that. Sometimes people will say, well, Brother Harold, do you know what Joseph's doing? I'll say, no, but you ought to go talk to him about it. I didn't fit in that Matthew 18 equation. If he won't hear you, tell it to the former pastor and have him tell him. That's not in there. It's you go to him, and if that problem doesn't get resolved, well, I don't want to talk to him about it. Well, it must not be as big a problem as you thought it was. You don't want it fixed. You just want an ear of somebody else to hear it. I'm not that ear. Why? Because I'm submissive to him. He is our shepherd. I am accountable to him. The Holy Spirit has made him my pastor. Under his authority. And look, I've got to submit myself to him because I'm going to give a 14-year account for the people that I pastored at Lee Creek and then Joseph's going to give an account for you all and me. And I find this little back biting, crawling around, worming around, trying to undermine him. That's not profitable for me on that day. So I'm not speaking as a guy that's got the power I'm speaking as a man under that power. I want to obey him. But you know why? I want to hear good stuff about me. Harold was my supporter, not my adversary. But I take it a step further. There's no shortage of these verses. There's just a shortage of time. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. This is Peter talking to the elders. Taking the oversight thereof. Somebody's in charge. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. I hear people say, well, I'm not going to support to this pastor because he's just in it for the money. Go somewhere else. Good pastors are out there. You may have to look for one, but when you find him, figure it out and get under him. The Holy Spirit sent him there. When I look at the church, I see authority, I see administration, I see accountability. By the way, how can you be accountable to a pastor if he don't even know who you are? If he's got to give an account, who is he accountable for? Well, three Sundays this person showed up. I didn't really remember their name. They looked mad the whole time they were here. That's really all I know about that one, Lord. No, he can't do that. The accountability that he's given account for are those who have covenanted themselves together with the church and recognized God sent us a pastor and it's Joseph. God sent us a congregation and it's Lee Creek and we're part of it. You can't do that on the internet. You can't do that without being there in real life. There's admittance to the church. It's a little harder to join the church than it is the Girl Scouts. But for many churches, it's easier to get kicked out of the Girl Scouts than it is to get kicked out of the church. In order to be a member of the church, the Bible says you must be saved. The day of Pentecost, it said there were 3,000 souls added to the church. How were they added? By salvation, evidenced by baptism. So the prerequisite for church is baptism and salvation. Well, if I'm baptized and I'm saved, then that's all there is and I'm in the church. No, there's more than that. The Bible is very clear. Just being saved and being baptized doesn't make you a member of a local church. Here's why. There's a number of local churches in our area and we differ on a large number of things. The Bible says that we are to be united together in our doctrine. That's our teaching. Remember, I'm preaching a doctrinal message. I'm taking a lot of Bible verses from all over Scripture, putting them together under one heading and building a platform in which to say this is important and the Bible says so. The church has to be in agreement on these doctrines. 
In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, Paul gives us this instruction. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. How do we mark them, preacher? You got one of them bingo daubers? No. The word mark here means to draw a circle around, to identify. If you've got somebody in the church that's causing division, contrary to the doctrine of the church, that person is to be put away if they will not correct their doctrine. This is consistent with what we said about authority and accountability. This is consistent with admittance. If someone is saved and they've been baptized and they bring in some false doctrine, we don't have to say, well, they believe different than the rest of us and we have to put up with them. No. Man, we could spend the rest of our time together today just looking at commands to get rid of people who believe and preach and teach false doctrine. So what that tells me is the church should be united in its doctrine. Somebody told me one time, they said, well, brother, I like Lee Creek, but y'all don't believe this, this, and this. I said, go right over the hill just when you get to Walmart, take a left the other way, or right the other way. That church believes all that. Well, I don't like them. I said, well, that's not my problem. I'm not the pastor of that group. You see, everybody in here that's a member here, we agree on these basic doctrines. Oh, well, we're different. We have different views on small, minor things, but key cardinal doctrines, we agree on, and we should. And if you want to be a part of us, you should accept those or go find that church down by Walmart or the one up on the corner by Rudy or wherever. There's a church that'll suit you. But not only is there a doctrinal requirement, there's a moral requirement. You can't just join the church and live however you want. It's a moral requirement. These are all requirements to be part of the membership that have to be met. The only way they can be met is if the congregation examines the people and says, yeah, they meet them because the church has that authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says, You know not, or know ye not, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Unrighteous people who live that way and will not repent are not saved. That was a prerequisite for salvation. People who continue to act like they're not saved that are a member fall into Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, and should be sought to be corrected, and if they won't be corrected, dismissed. So moral requirements are there. Paul goes on to say, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's who you were. Doesn't mean you can't be saved. Doesn't mean you can't become a member of the church. If you've been saved, that's your past, not your present. Of such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I'll have you know those verses fall right after the verses that says the least of the church can judge in your earthly matter because the least in the church are those who are at the end of this text. That's not who they are, that's who they were. So, what are we saying here? Well, we're saying the church has authority. The church has administration. The church has accountability. The church has admittance. How do you get admitted to the church if you don't go there? How do you become a member of the invisible church? I always love that story Vance Havner said. He's my favorite preacher, by the way. Vance Havner was so practical. A fellow came up to him. He said, Dr. Havner, I want to join your choir, your church. He said, sir, you're not a member of our church. He said, I'm a member of the invisible church. Dr. Habner said, join their choir. There's administration. There's a, there's, there's a hierarchy. If you don't want to be in the hierarchy, but you want all the benefits of being in the body, that's what we're seeing in the world around us today is a cultural norm. 
There's availability. The church is local. I've known people that drove over an hour to get to Lee Creek. I said, man, there's got to be a church closer to you than this. Not one that I doctrinally agree with. I said, oh, no, no, you're not driving this far. I start making phone calls. They say, well, preacher, did you find anybody between here and there? I was like, no. They said, then we're willing to drive an hour. Driving an hour may seem like a real inconvenience in our day, but what about the times in which people walked? How far can you walk in an hour? Now, I'm fat, and I walk pretty regular, and I can tell you how far I can walk in an hour. I can walk a little over three miles in an hour. That's clipping it for a fat guy with short legs. Imagine that you had to live within three and a quarter miles of a church to be able to go there. You say, oh, preacher, people used to walk a lot further than that. Then it's no problem for you to drive an hour to a church. I would venture to say most of you didn't drive an hour. The church is available. It was designed to be this way. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 19 The churches of Asia salute you Churches is plural It's not one church It's over a whole region of Asia It's a bunch of small churches in a region And the Lord knows them Matter of fact we see seven of them listed In the first uh, three chapters of the book of Revelation And that's not all of them That's just the three the Lord talked to God doesn't paint with a broad brush He knows what's going on in each individual local congregation. The churches of Asia salute you. Here's what else he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. There's a local location. Within a town there were multiple churches meeting in multiple locations. Friend, what are you driving at, preacher? I'm driving at this. The church is is available. It's near you. If you've got a good, solid church near you, and the Bible says they have authority, they have administration, they have accountability, they have admittance, and they're right next door. Now, I'm not going. Now, I'm not going. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Bible is saying you should do. You say, well, Brother Harold, I just don't know about that. I'm only at point five of 12. And I've missed a few meals, and it ain't going to hurt me to miss another one. I can spend all day proving my point. But I'm not going to do that because I'm going trout fishing when church is there. The point I'm driving at is this. We're just looking at a a handful of passages, all that we have time for. So along with availability is assembly. The local church meets together. I tell you, one of the greatest, I don't know what you call it, one of the most eye-opening things for Christians in America was COVID. It it, It showed you just how quickly Meat could be gone off your grocery store shelf. It showed you just how quickly people would surrender their rights for safety. And it showed you just how important church attendance was. When most of America sat at home in their underwear and watched it on TV. The church assembled. You say, well, Lee Creek closed. No, we didn't. We relocated. We met in a barn at an undisclosed location. And unlike John Bunyan, I didn't get arrested and thrown in jail for it. We still had a little bit of freedom. The point I'm making is this. If the assembly of the church is this important, if they have all of this administration and all of this structure, and we ought to be accountable to them, and they're available, they're nearby, why won't we attend Matthew 18, verse 20, you can interpret this however you want, but you can't get away from the fact that whether two, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. 
I've heard people make all sorts of arguments about that. Well, I don't know how you want to interpret it, but two or three people are together and Jesus says, I'm with them. He just said, when you get together, make this decision about this sinful brother, I'm there with you. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm there with you. I want to be where he is. Sir, we would see Jesus. Where's he at? Well, he lives within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he is the overseer, the author and the finisher of the church. If he's here, why wouldn't we be here? The writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That forsaking there, that doesn't mean that you can't miss a Sunday. That doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. That doesn't mean you can't come down sick. That doesn't mean that it can't snow and the ice roads over and nobody can drive. Forsaking means long-term staying away, quitting. I've quit the church. He said, don't quit the church. Don't forsake assembling yourselves together. As is the manner of some. Some people had forsaken the church. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We ought not go to church less today. We ought to go to church more. I'm going to help a church here pretty soon that only has one service a week. And I said, why are you doing that? And they said, nobody wants to come. I like going to church. And not just because I'm preaching. I I come here when I don't preach. I, I come on Sundays. I go on Wednesdays. I show up for Sunday school. Why? If the Lord's there, I ought to assemble more. If we started a Friday night meeting, I'd try to make every one of them I could. Why? I happen to like God's people. I like to study His Word. I like to spend time with them. Call me weird, but I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm just made that way now. I've been born again. I'm not the old rotten Harold Smith that Harold and Patty Smith gave birth to and raised up in Greenwood, Arkansas. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm I'm a citizen of a faraway land. I'm just a pilgrim on the earth passing through. But when God's people huddle up, put me in the huddle. I'm over here, coach, I want to go in. I want to go in. I want to be with the team. That should be the desire of every born-again Christian. I want to be with the team. Sorry, I'm a little passionate about getting together with a church. There's appointments in the church. The local church selects preachers. Selects pastors, selects deacons, selects missionaries. How can you do that outside of a local group of people? How could you do it? We did it yesterday. Brother Joseph did a wonderful job setting up the ordination of Jared Links, a member of our church, who today is joining at Vesta, where he is now the pastor. And Joseph set up a wonderful service where we laid hands on Jared and symbolically demonstrated to him and the congregation that all of us ordained men believe that Jared is gifted for the ministry. And we sent him out of Lee Creek to go and be the pastor at Vesta. We didn't send him to the church at large, just poof. Somewhere out there, find a mystical group of people. No. There's appointments made in the local church. Paul tells Timothy not to neglect this. 1 Timothy 4.14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. The presbytery are the elders of the church. He said, Timothy, do you not remember everyone in the church that you grew up in? The the elders, the pastors, the overseers of the church came and laid their hands on them and they said the Holy Spirit has made it clear to us and you that you're gifted for this ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I will get to that in a minute. How do you send preachers out? If there's no local church, who examines them and recommends them? 
In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul said, I commend unto you our sister Phoebe. Receive her as becoming a saint. You know what Paul's doing? He's writing a letter of recommendation from a member of one church to another. Somebody told me there ain't no letters in the Bible. I said, you just ain't read it. Romans 16, 1, and then just get on the epistles and read the last half of each chapter. You'll find three or four more. When so-and-so arrives, receive him into the body. What am I saying? I'm saying this. The church makes these appointments. In Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch sent away Paul and Barnabas for the work in which the Holy Spirit had appointed them to do, to be missionaries, to go out and to preach the gospel, and they were being recommended by the church. A little bit later, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 16 get in an argument. One of them wants to take John Mark, the other one says, we ain't taking him, he quit last time. They got real heated. Barnabas said, I'm going to take John Mark and I'll go to Crete. And he left. Paul chose Silas and was sent out being recommended by the church. You know who settled that dispute? The church. You know who sent Paul and Silas out? The church. And if you start reading in Acts chapter 17, you'll see this glorious work of the Holy Spirit through Paul and Silas. Remember them praying in that jail? You see, being sent out by the Holy Spirit doesn't ensure you won't have trouble. It'll ensure you will have trouble. But it'll ensure that your trouble will turn out to the glory of God and the salvation of others. Remember that jailer breaking in, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That don't happen unless you're sent out by the Holy Spirit as testified by who? The church. The church makes these appointments. There's also advancement. Who does missions? How are missions to be handled? I'm a missionary. Can I just go do whatever I want? I don't need you guys. I'll just go do whatever I want. I'll start a GoFundMe online, and I'll have them fund me. And I'll put sad stories on there. And I'll guilt trip people into sending me money each month. And I would accomplish absolutely nothing. Well, who is it that manages missions? According to the Bible, it's the local church. They advance the cause of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, for the saints, this is relief money to go to Jerusalem. He's writing to the church at Corinth. It says, now concerning that, As I have given order in the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Paul goes on to tell the church at Corinth the way all the churches in Galatia are taking up offerings and how that money's to be collected. He tells them to appoint people to carry it with them and to send that money to Jerusalem. All of this. Paul's an apostle. He could just say, I'm an apostle. Give me your money. He says the church handles missions. This is how you do it. And he has the church send the money. Here's a pretty common passage of scripture. Tell me if you've ever heard this one. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Who does that? The church. The church. Friend, I'm trying to draw a conclusion to you, not just from my fancy alliterations of A words. I'm trying to draw a conclusion to you based upon all of these passages of Scripture that you can't do any other way than a group of people covenanting themselves together, committed to one another, loving the Lord, right in doctrine, right in their morals, and working together for the greater good of Christ. You can't do these things any other way. Number nine, in case you're wondering when this will be over, number nine, there's academy. The church is an academy. I remember getting up on a Sunday morning and I'd ask a dumb question occasionally. Did you ever ask a dumb question? Sunday morning's dumb question as a kid went something like this. Do we have to go to church today? 
forgot the answer of, no, we can stay home. We have no responsibilities there. Yeah, we're going to church. Get ready. And I got ready because I knew if I didn't get ready, I'd get a whoop and then I'd get ready with a smile. Friend, I'm driving at something here. When we talk about academy, my parents made me go to church even though I didn't want to go to church. Then I got saved and my attitude got better. I wanted to go to church. I like going to church. The people at church are nice, unlike the people at school. They're not nice. Nobody ever give me a whooping at church except dad. At school, any adult could give me a whooping and probably did at times. But even those times as a kid, I learned in church things that apply to me now as a pastor. And you know what I've discovered? Many people in the church today, they don't need some deep theological truth. They need a fresh understanding of David and Goliath. They need a proper application of three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace. They need to see how these old, old stories still apply to us today. And the reason they apply today and the reason they work today is because these were given for our instruction. The church is an academy. Jesus Christ said this in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He didn't say teach them the gospel and wish them best of luck. He said teach them all things that I have commanded you. Friend, We've got more than just ABC, repeat after me. We've got a Christian life that needs to be discussed. We've got a love from the Father that needs to be explained. We've got a standing in Christ Jesus that needs to be remembered. We've got a doctrine of the church that the Lord Jesus Christ has assembled that we need to be a part of. That's part of the teaching of all things. That's what it means to make disciples. You say, well, Brother Harold, how's the church supposed to go about that? Paul answers that in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. He's talking about Jesus. He says, and he, that's Jesus, gave some apostles. Did Jesus call the apostles? Yeah, he did. You've not chosen me, I've chosen you. That's Jesus' picking. He called some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. That would be similar to the work I do. And some pastors and teachers. That's Joseph Allen for Lee Creek Baptist Church. Now why did he gift those apostles? Why did he gift those prophets? Why did he gift those evangelists? And why did he gift the pastor teacher to the church? I'll answer that with the next verse. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How do you do that and not be a part of the church? Now, I've got a better program. I know what Jesus is talking about. I'm not doing that. I know he, I know he gifted these people. Now, I'm not doing that. Friend, there's no other institution on the planet designed to do what you need as a Christian than this group gathered today. It's an academy. We wonder why Christians today are so biblically ignorant. It's because they don't spend their time committed and serving in a local New Testament church. The place that was designed to teach them these things. Number 10, there's anticipation. Jesus Christ built the church and it will abide until he returns. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. But he also said this, 
And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Somebody said, well, there was a long period of time that we had no church. No, there's a long period of time you didn't know about the churches. The Lord has always had his church, or that verse doesn't make sense. The Lord has always had his church, or lo, he wasn't with us for a while. You say, well, if he had a church, where's all their writings? In a fire burnt by Romans. They burned the writings of the true church as heretical. They burned the men along with it. Go read about these men. They believed God. They believed His word. They knew what church was and they died for it. They wouldn't all look exactly alike. They didn't look anything like the church that burned them at the stake. They existed. And if you don't know about them and I don't know about them, I trust that the Lord knows them that are His. And if you think the reformers just pulled all these doctrines out of thin air, I pity you. They learned them from the writings of men before them. On that subject, number 11. The church is attacked. The church is attacked. Nobody's out chasing down the Lone Ranger Christian that don't want to be a part of a body. Watch that guy. He's he's starting a rebellion. Nobody's following him. He's quietly practicing his faith over in the corner. He's not causing any trouble. Do you realize we could have saved a lot of turmoil in this world if the apostles would have said on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Just believe in Jesus Christ and keep it quiet. Just ask him into your heart and go your merry way. Don't you come together. Those men were thrown in prison. For preaching Christ. And the angel let them out and said, Get back down to the temple and preach that one again. And he's down there preaching again. And the, and the ruler said, Go get them fellows from Jesus out. And said, We won't we deal with them. And the jailer came back and he said, Prison was locked up, but they weren't there. Somebody else walked in and said, You ain't going to believe this. Them boys are back in the temple preaching again. The men said, did we not tell you not to preach in his name? And they said, yeah, we're not going to assemble anymore. You're right. For our health and for your betterment, we're just going to stay home. Do this on Facebook from now on. You see, friend, you ought to be a part of the local church for anticipation. The Lord is coming back, and you ought to be a part of the local church because the church is attacked. And this is the interesting thing to me. I mentioned Vance Havner earlier. If you're not acquainted with that old saint of God, you ought to be. He also said this. He said, the church has never suffered so much from woodpeckers on the outside as it has from termites on the inside. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, the Bible agrees with it. Paul in Acts chapter 20 verses 29 through 30 said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. If the church is being attacked from within, and the church is being attacked from without, where are you and whose side are you on? I'm talking about the church under attack. I don't want to go through persecution. I hope I live a quiet, peaceable life, and that's what I pray for. But if persecution starts, I hope I'm counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. If I'm not gathered with the saints and where the Lord's doing His work in this academy that He's appointed with this authority and this administration, with this accountability and this admittance and this availability and this assembly with all these appointments and the gospel advancing, if there's going to be an attack, I want to be there with them guys. Why? Because the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. The Lord said it's going to be there when I come back. Number 12. Say amen right there. Number 12. 
Let's practice again. Number 12. I just want to make sure you're still breathing. Number 12. I'm talking about reasons why you should be committed to the local church and a covenant commitment. You've, you've been admitted to the church. You've joined. You meet the criteria. You've been examined. You've put yourself under the authority of the church. You've put yourself under the administration of the church. You, you're holding yourself accountable to pastors. Church is available to you. Meet the admittance requirements. You've assembled together regularly. You participate in the appointments of the church. You advance the cause of missions. You anticipate the Lord's return. And if the church is going to be attacked, you want to be there with them. Number 12, one another's. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for another. In the New Testament, the local church is the only place to fulfill the one another passages. You say, what's the one another passages? I've done this series a couple of times in a couple of different churches. There are 70 plus verses in the New Testament that give us a command toward one another. Love one another, care for one another, support one another, bear one another's burdens, exhort one another. You, 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 you with me here? A third of these 70 plus commands, a third of them command you to be united with one another. If you say, I don't have to be an official part of any church, you've just broke over 20 Bible verses that say you should. Now, you can't be united with one another if you're not with one another. This right here don't mean you love them. Blessings and peace. Love you guys. See you eight Christmases later. We're not coming back to the family reunion. You don't love your family. Don't say you love this body of believers. You don't come and see them. They meet regularly. You have to be here. And you don't just have to show up. You have to be a part of them. You have to be united. A third of them say you have to be united. A third of them say you have to love one another. How do you love someone you're never around? That's a Facebook relationship. I've already used that illustration. You want to hear it again? You can't love people you don't know. There's a very famous preacher and author seminary speaker and he's held in very high regard and I had an opportunity to meet him face to face one time and I thought oh, this will be good I'm, I'm looking forward to this it was awful I was like what a snob I mean it was so beneath him to have to say two words to me but I love him why? because I'm instructed to Here's the good news. He's like eight states away and I don't have to see him. You know what else? I'm instructed to love you. And we meet together on a regular basis. You know why a lot of people don't want to unite with a local church? That right there. I'd have to love those people. And I'm just not ready to open up and do that. You can't fulfill the one another's. There's others. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You took it out of context, it's in there three times. But I have a cultural explanation. Greet one another with a handshake. That's the equivalent of a kiss in our day. Unless you want to be real fundamental, we'll go back to the holy kiss. I don't want to do that. How do you greet one another? Three times the Bible instructs us to do that. How do you do that? You wave on Facebook? You send hearts and good vibes? You can't. You can't fulfill these 76 verses that are found throughout the New Testament, repeated over and over and over and over. You can't do that, friend, unless you're a committed part of a local church. You can't bear one another's burdens if you don't know what their burdens are. And if you don't get to know them and spend time with them and fellowship with them, they're never going to be comfortable enough to tell you what's really wrong with their life. People ask me, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I don't want to tell you what really happened. What really happened is my printer ran out of paper. 
that printer in there was, was broke. And I'm down on my knees trying to figure out what's wrong with it, and my belt broke. Now I'm walking around pulling my pants up all the day. When you ask me, how you doing? I'm doing fine. But I love you, and I'm comfortable telling you the truth. No, I'm not fine. My notes are on front and back of one page. I got 28 Bible verses, and they're, they're on the back side of the paper. My belt's gone. The only way I would feel comfortable enough to say that is if I'd spent enough time with you that I knew you and I knew you knew who I was and that we had a love for one another. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You can't fulfill the law of Christ if you're not doing that. Say, Brother Harold, why would you preach a message like this? You know who's committed here and who's not. I preach this because many people grow cold. You may have been a committed part of this church, but you began to slack off. I would say we all enter our marriage on honeymoon status. And if every spouse that's been married longer than two years is honest, it ain't all honeymoons, is it? Marital counseling will be available this week, won't it, Joseph? Why do I say it? I say it because I want you who are committed to realize just how important this church is in your life. This body of believers. I'm not talking about this building. It could burn down. It could blow away. I'm talking about this body of believers that care and love one another. That eat together. That spend their lives together. You need to realize that this is a God-ordained institution. And it's how the Lord has instructed and plans to mature and sanctify us. And we get slack in our commitment. So I preach a message like this and give you 28 verses from all over the New Testament. So you say, man, this is important. I shouldn't come dragging in here half asleep. I should come in here excited. This is what the Lord's doing. I preach this, number two, because some people are simply ignorant of the need of the local church. I've discovered people that shack up together are ignorant that that's a sin. I can think of three weddings that I've done that started with people asking to join the church. A couple came into my office, here's the funny thing, in their late 70s. Said, we'd like to join the church. I said, hey, great. The first church I ever pastored, it was before I came here. I started talking to them. They had two different last names. I thought... Man, lady, you're not that younger, I don't want his name crowd. I mean, you know, in your generation, this is pretty common. Oh, we're not married. I said, well, you can't. You can't not be married and join the church. Well, we can too. And so I go over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Fornicators are not allowed to be a part of the body. We're not fornicating. We're committed. I said, that's any sexual activity outside of marriage. I said, we'd let you in here, and then we'd have to go through Matthew 18 and remove you. I said, why don't the two of you get married? You've been together for like nine years. Well, now, now her husband was a veteran, and if she remarries, she loses all of her VA benefits. I said, well, aren't you a veteran? Yeah, but he, she gets better veteran benefits by her first husband. I guess he's a higher-ranking guy or something. I wouldn't let them join the church. They got mad and they left. Then they went down to the VA. Come to find out it cost them $9 a month to get married. We did a wedding the next day. They joined church Sunday. And you know what they said? We just feel better now that we're truly committed to one another the way the Bible tells us to. And for $9 a month, it's the best $9 we've ever spent. I say it because there are people who bounce around church to church to church, never settle anywhere, and they don't know any better. And here's what, I want you to experience the joy that that couple experienced. 
You're not going to experience that anywhere other than in a group like this. It's called the church. I say it also, not just because those of us that are committed need to be reminded because we grow slack. I say it not because some are ignorant. I say it because some are obstinate. And they just cross their arms and say, I'm not doing it. I don't care what you say. I preach a message like this so that you're rebuked. This is not Harold's opinion. This is about 30 Bible verses collected from all over the New Testament laid before you with explanation. If you just don't want to do that and you're like, I just don't like any of those. I don't think he makes any case for this. You don't need to be a member here. Because if you were, we'd have to get Matthew 16, 17 out and say this person is causing division contrary to what the rest of us all believe about this body of believers called the church. Lastly, and I close with this, I preach this because there's some of you that don't know Christ. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And since you don't know Him as your Savior, you don't know what we're talking about. The only Jesus Christ you're ever going to see until you stand before Him on Judgment Day is His bride. You're going to see those of us that love Christ. And if we say the only evidence of, a, of Christ that you're going to see are the Christians that meet in local churches, and I look around Van Buren and I see a lot of churches. And I see a lot of bad examples. And when someone says, I don't want to go to church because churches are full of hypocrites, I say, I understand, I feel you. You ought to pastor one. Here's the thing. The church is worse than you think it is. You're worse than you think you are. But I preach a message like this because I believe the world deserves to see a true church. This is what Christ desired of His church. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. See, if we go to church, I'll have to start submitting to my husband. Yeah, but he'll have to start loving you like Christ. That's a, that's a plus. Why? Our homes should picture Christ. Our churches should picture Christ. Look at what it says in the next verse. I'm in Ephesians 5, 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. Verse 27 that he might prevent to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such, but that would be holy and without blemish. I preach a message on the church for this reason. I want the world to see what a real church looks like because I want them to see who Christ really is. And that's our obligation. And that's why we're the salt of the earth. That's why we're the light of the world. That's why we should be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If we're not that, we ought to close and go home. God help us be that. Brother Joseph. After that, you weren't listening at all. That was a wonderful message. I appreciate that, Brother Harold. It's been a blessing to have him preach for us. And, and uh, we miss him when he's gone out and about, but we know he's doing what the Lord's called him to do. And uh, he's helping the local churches because the local church is so important and so vital for the Christian and the kingdom. And uh, so we're going to close with a song. Brother Ron, if you would come and uh, lead us in a closing hymn, and uh, then we'll, we'll continue and dismiss our service after that.